Whakarongo ake au ki te tangi a te manu e karanga mai ana tui, 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 a hui, 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 hui a mai. Hoki mai anō e ngaiwi ki tātātou hui. This week on The Hui. We're with the Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, to discuss the important issues that are directly impacting Māori. The phrase that we hear a lot is bread and butter. When Māori communities hear that, they don't hear bread and butter, they hear breadcrumbs. And it feels like there's a sense of retrenchment, maybe even policy retrenchment going on with this government. What's your response to that? Absolutely not. And we explore the traditional practice of making ote with the artists who are bringing it to life. You can bring something back that was kind of on the brink of non-existence. Te aweawe o te rangi, kia rātou mā, te aweawe o te whenua, kia tātou katoa, ti hewa mauri ora, and welcome back to The Hui. Prime Minister Chris Hipkins took over from Jacinda Ardern officially on January 25th this year. Since then, he's been working his way through the government's to-do list with a greater focus on what he describes as bread and butter issues. I caught up with the Prime Minister, the Right Honourable Chris Hipkins, in Te Whanganui Atana. Prime Minister, tēnāwe. Thank Kia you very ora. much for your time. Really appreciate your time with us. You have said that in the top job that you have to trust your gut. So the first question is, what does your gut tell you about the way in which our current political discourse is undertaken, particularly when it comes to Māori issues at the moment? It, it tells me that we've still got a way to go to make sure we're bringing all New Zealanders along in the, in the journey that we've been on as a country in terms of improving the relationship between the Crown and Māori, in terms of making sure that we're delivering on the commitment that was made 170 plus years ago um, to ensure that we can all live in New Zealand uh, with peace and prosperity and equity. Mm. We've got a way to go to achieve those things. We've made progress, but not everybody is necessarily on board with what we've been doing. So I think we can continue to make progress. We can continue to move forward. I think that what we, what we really need to do at the moment, though, is make sure we're bringing everybody with us in that journey. So how do you do that? Um, I think openness and, and dialogue. If, let's just take a few recent examples. Um, if we think about, say, the foreshore and seabed, let's go back you know, beyond the life of this government and go back to something that existed before that. Uh, there was a really challenging set of politics around that. You had billboards up and down the country put forward by an opposition political party saying no special deals, the beaches are for everybody, followed thereafter by iwi kiwi billboards, which you know became sort of a symbol, I think, at that time of a divide between Māori and non-Māori New Zealanders that was, you know, it was driven deliberately for a political purpose. And the foreshore and the seabed got all tied up in that debate. Uh, the government of the day wanting to try and bring, you know, not create a, a big race-based wedge. And in the end probably did do that um, because of the way the foreshore and seabed all played out. I think we've got to try and avoid that kind of potential to divide New Zealanders on some of the more contentious issues that we're dealing with at the moment, right. such as you know, water, water infrastructure. Yeah, okay. it's, a, it's an example, and I think we've just got to be careful. I think Māori rightly have an interest in water. They want to, make, they want to know that they're in on the ground floor when it comes to defining how we manage our water in the future, and I think that's very legitimate and very reasonable. But. Um, if I look at the signs that are up and down the country saying stop three waters, uh, when you talk to many people about that, they don't really understand what the water infrastructure changes that we're proposing are 
they've just heard the sort of the dog whistle racism that's associated with it. And so I think we've just got to make sure that we're explaining what we're doing and why we're doing it and make sure that we can bring people along with that. Yeah, there's explaining and delaying though, and it feels like, I mean, you already have regional entities in place. CEOs appointed, Waipunarangi Regional A, for example, has already started engaging on the ground with those communities, John Lamont and his team. So it feels like a delay to try and assuage the really noisy minority actually, when Māori are ready to go, have been ready to go for a long time. Well, the, issue, the debate around co-governance isn't the only challenging thing around water infrastructure. There's also um, a, a lack of support in some key areas from local government figures, uh, which creates a challenge too, because local government, even with water infrastructure reform, is still going to be integral to making this all successful. So if you think about something like stormwater, for example, Pipes are only one part of stormwater. Actually, the way we use our parks and our reserves and, and so on in terms of water runoff, those are also vitally important decisions and they interact with the everyday, day-to-day -day business of local government. So we've got to make sure that local government are in this equation as well. Rivers and streams are integral to our stormwater systems. So again, uh, these extend beyond just the physical infrastructure to some of the natural infrastructure that we're using as well. So we've got to make sure that we're, again, just getting everybody in the tent. We're not going to all be paddling in the same direction yeah. right from day one, yeah. but we've got to get something that actually has enough goodwill to, to maintain the momentum. I guess there's a sense of frustration though that we're waiting and waiting and waiting. And yes, you've been very, you know, short term in the role, but Māori have been ready to go and they're ready to go and they're itching to hit go right now. So what's your response to those who say, this is taking too long? We've said three weeks, it's all of a sudden another three weeks and we still haven't had a response on what that looks like particularly after the likes of Hapuapua. Yeah, I think we've got to take the time that's required to get this right. We're talking about something that's going to uh, be a 30-year investment in our water infrastructure. So if we look at the amount of money that's required in the next 30 years, $180 billion on some estimates, you know, that's just a phenomenal amount of money for something that we rely on on a day-to-day -day basis. We rely on the fact that when it rains, the water goes away. We rely on the fact that when we flush the toilet, that goes away. We rely on the fact that when we turn the tap on, we're going to have safe drinking water coming out of it. The 180 odd billion dollars that we're going to need to invest in that to make sure we can keep doing those things is a massive amount of money. So I think taking a little bit of longer at this point to make sure we're getting this right um, and so that we can actually then tackle those big challenges ahead, I think it's a good investment of time. Is this a reflection though on other policies and projects the, the government has undertaken, say for example in health, the government didn't wait, it hit, it hit go, particularly in response actually to the Māori Health Inequities uh, claim that was set by 2575 by a lot of Māori Health practitioners. The government hit go in response to that, it set up Te Whatuora, it set up Te Akawhaiora Māori. So was there some reflection that maybe didn't get that right in implementation and hence the reason why we're holding on a bit here when it comes to Three Waters and Co-Governance? Well, if you look at Te Aka for example, they're just at the start of that journey. Establishing an entity is one thing. Actually starting to deliver on the promise is another. Mm. And they've still got a lot of work ahead of them to actually uh, really grapple with how do we deliver health services better uh, in a by Māori, for Māori way? Um, how do we better support that? There's a lot of work ahead of them. I, I absolutely think the concept is right. I absolutely think it's the right thing to do. But th there's no one-size-fits-all model here. The overall concept, mahitaki, working together, that's exactly where I want the government to be, but that doesn't have to look the same in every context. Yeah. The phrase that we hear a lot is bread and butter. When Māori communities hear that, they don't hear bread and butter, they hear breadcrumbs. 
and it feels like there's a sense of retrenchment, maybe even policy retrenchment going on with this government. What's your response to that? A absolutely not. Um, when, I, uh, when, I, when I'm talking about bread and butter, I'm talking about the ability of people to work hard and get ahead and create a better life for themselves and for their families. And we do need to realise that in our modern economy, the economic disparity that affects Māori is one of the things that has a, an impact on their ability to fulfil that vision, to, to live up to the, the Kiwi dream, which is this idea if you go out and you, you put on the hard yards, you and your family should be better off and you should be able to create a better future for your kids. And disproportionately, Māori are in the group of New Zealanders who are struggling to be able to do that. So when I talk about bread and butter, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the notion that actually the economic reward from a, from a growing economy should be shared. And too many New Zealanders feel like they're missing out on that at the moment. Yeah, how do you do that in a tightening economy though? And recent announcements, OCR increases, that kind of thing. Yeah, so th that, there's some interesting challenges here. Again, I think um, and when we're talking about the economy, people sort of lurch to one measure or another and they don't think about the balance of measures across the economy. So we've still got record low unemployment. That actually sets us apart from other economies and it's actually a really strong foundation. L levels of government debt are very low. That gives government options it gives us choices in terms of what things that we can do to mitigate a potential economic downturn that we might not otherwise have. I think the things that are hitting, hurting New Zealanders at the moment are inflation. Uh, forecasts are looking positive in terms of inflation starting to, you know, has peaked and it's, it's trending down. Clearly, the faster it comes down, the better that's going to be for households because, the, you know, that, that rising cost of living, that sense that every time you go to the supermarket, things are getting more and more expensive week on week, that really hurts, and I, and I understand that. And then, of course, the big tool that the Reserve Bank used to try and bring inflation down, which is interest rates, that, that creates a double whammy for a household. So they go to the supermarket, they're paying more at the supermarket, they're paying more when they fill up their car, and now they're paying more on interest rates if they've got a mortgage. Um, or, in the case of renters, um, rising interest rates has an impact on the level of rent that they pay. The more we can do to kind of get to stabilise that economic picture, to bring inflation back down, to get interest rates stabilised and then eventually trending down as well, that's going to help households. How do you do that though when you're also trying to deal with inequity? Not inequality, but inequity. Inequity of access to resource. Inequity of deployment of resource to those communities, and I'm, getting, I'm talking about Māori communities in particular here, who need it more now than ever. So I think one of the things that's really important is that we make sure that the, what government is doing, we're making really quality decisions um, about what are the things that are going to deliver the biggest bang for buck. So there's a lot of areas where government can spend money that aren't necessarily going to deliver us the best bang for buck. Mm. So let's take the area of climate change. I know it's an area that's you know, incredibly important to Māori as it is to other uh, non-Māori New Zealanders. We want to make as much progress as quickly as we can to do two things. One is to mitigate climate change so it's not, you know, mm. We're not making it worse through our actions. But secondly, to adapt to the fact that climate change is happening around us and we actually have to we have to live differently if we're going to actually live in this dynamic world where we have more extreme weather events and so on. And we have to do both of those things with a great sense of urgency. But that means that from a government level, I want to make sure that the things that we are doing are actually delivering the best bang for buck. So if we take an, a nominally pro-equity scheme, the ability to trade in your old car and get money back in order to fund an electric vehicle, that was going to cost a lot of money. Support a relatively small number of people for that money mm -hmm. and not actually reduce our carbon emissions by very much. And we're talking quite a significant sum of money, it was about $550 million. The goal hasn't changed, what we're trying to achieve hasn't changed, but are all of the things that we're doing the best way of achieving those objectives? 
We have more with Prime Minister Chris Hipkins after the break on the Hui. In the immediate aftermath of Prime Minister Chris Hipkins' appointment, many of his Māori minister's policies did not make the cut. He was quick to defend his government, but makes clear in one case in particular, one Māori minister was let down. When you became Prime Minister, you made some pretty immediate decisions. For example, RNZ merger, gone. Uh, we think of the portfolio that the then local minister had, Nanaya Mahuta, she was moved in and is still in her Ministry of Foreign Affairs role, uh, lost the local government role. Legislation that was being moved by the Justice Minister, um, particularly with alcohol reform, gone. You had the Defence Minister at the time, Penny Henley, lost that portfolio. What's your response to those in Māori who say, actually, a lot of our Māori ministers felt the brunt of the change in Prime Minister and the immediate actions that you undertook at the time in those portfolio areas? Oh, absolutely not. I don't accept that. If you look at um, the role of Māori ministers in, in the cabinet that I've put together, our Māori ministers are in more senior roles than ever before. No, I understand that. Um, I guess the point is, so let's go back to Nanaia Mahuta, for example. Yeah. She is still seen to be the anti-face of co-governance. When the vitriol comes out about Three Waters and co-governance, it's her face that's on there. When there is a merger was jettisoned. It's Willie Jackson's name that gets attention there. These are Māori ministers that were leading those portfolios. Yeah. If I reflect critically on uh, the period where I was a minister, around the cabinet table, but before I became Prime Minister, uh, I think uh, if I reflect critically on that period, we probably left Nanaia Mahuta out on her own defending the Three Waters reform program uh, and the co-governance um, debate. Uh, by herself for longer than we should have. We needed to have other voices from the government in that conversation, and we didn't. And I actually think Nanaia bore the brunt of that. It was very unfair, it became very personalised to her. And I wasn't willing to allow that to continue, which is one of the reasons why I've given her a break from that portfolio, because I don't think it was fair to leave her continuing to be the face of all of that. Um, it, it had become very personalised to her, and I just don't think that that was fair. I think she deserved better than that. Um, she's a brilliant Minister of Foreign affairs. She's representing us incredibly well on the global stage and I wanted to give her the space to do that and to thrive in that role and I believe that she is thriving in that role and I think New Zealanders can be proud of the work that Nanaia has been doing in that space. Um, so you know, I, I, I do think that uh, you know, on, on the issues around co-governance and around three waters and around water infrastructure, I think we, we kind of, the, the public debate just went off on a tangent that was unhelpful. In reality, what we've actually got with Three Waters, under the, the status quo now, isn't actually a co-governance arrangement, despite the fact that that's what people are referring to it as. Um, it, it isn't, what we're doing now isn't co-governance. And so I think we've just got some work to do to, uh, to make sure that people understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, and that we are bringing people along. What about then, I mean, we've seen other female Māori ministers actually feeling the brunt of some public criticism as well. Some might say rightly and justifiably so, but for example, Manama Davidson, I mean, the people talk about the comments she made rather than the actions that led to her making those comments. She was hit by a man on a motorbike. Uh, even Kitty Allen recently, who's there supporting a fiancé, 
and has a view as a whānau representative. It seems to be that we don't get out in front of, and I guess I put this squarely at the government, they don't get out in front of our female leaders when those things happen and they're left to defend themselves. Well, I mean, I think I did defend Marama Davidson, um, but I also acknowledge that the comment that she made was also wrong, and so there was a balance there between making sure that you're defending someone given the circumstances they found themselves in and the fact that they made a comment that actually wasn't true, uh, and that again, creates this perception of a divide. It, it, it gets people's backs up. It means that they, they switch off hearing uh, the argument that you're trying to make because you immediately offend them. And this is a real challenge when we're talking about things like domestic and family violence, for example. It's an absolute fact to say that the majority of perpetrators of domestic and family violence are, are men. Unfortunately, what a lot of men hear when we say that is that the majority of men are conducting, are, are committing domestic and family violence. That's not the message. That's not what we're saying at all. But unfortunately for some, that's what they hear. And so what we've got to do is have these debates in a way that actually brings people along. Now, as a man, I've got, I believe I've got a role to call out violence. Um, and I think that that's what we're asking all men to do. That doesn't mean that we're saying that all men are, 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 are violent people. I want to also ask you about, and we spoke at Waitangi, a little bit about rangatiratanga, kamanatanga, the space in between, and how that operates. And obviously there is one significant claim yet to be settled in terms of Ngāpuhi, and the question comes down to sovereignty mm. and rangatiratanga. Mm. Is there a situation that you can see in your time as Prime Minister where rangatiratanga could be shared to a degree where, yes, the Crown has federal jurisdiction, but in some cases, in particular in Ngāpuhi, there is the ability for them to be able to operate with their own state, if you like, judicial or authority that is similarly seen in places like British Columbia, where treaty settlements have happened there in very much the same way. I think, um, you know, I, I actually really like the approach of Kelvin Davis, our Minister for Crown Māori Relations here, that, uh, you know, if we look at the, the treaty, the three articles of the treaty, articles one and two, you know, Kawanatanga and Rangatiratanga, working together are how you achieve the third one, which yeah. is that, that promise of equity, of opportunity for everybody, uh, equal rights. We've got to make sure that Kawanatanga and Rangatiratanga are working hand in hand yeah. if we're going to achieve that vision. Again, it's not one of those areas where I'm going to say there's a one-size-fits-all model and that you know there's hard and fast rules around how you achieve those things. Kawanatanga means the country needs to be governed. Rangatiratanga means we need to respect the fact that Māori have a right to self-determination over the way they deploy their resources and decisions that they're taking around their day-to-day -day lives. We've got to make sure that we reconcile those two things. And that's not just a process that you do once and no. then you move on. It's, go it's, it's going to be, as long as New Zealand exists as a country, it's going to be something that we're going to have to keep on working on. It's on so in closing, is there then space to be able to have shared jurisdiction, responsibilities here? Uh, look, I, I, that has the potential in itself to end up being a divisive debate if, if handled poorly. So but my, it comes down to communication. Like so, yeah, so my message is let's keep talking. Let's make sure that you know, we have open dialogue about these issues, that we, that we continue to strive towards achieving the, 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 the three kind of promises of the treaty, kawanatanga, rangatiratanga, orititanga. Those, those three things all go hand in hand together, and we have to, it's going to be a constant effort to keep reconciling those things, and, and it'll never be over. Prime Minister, thank you very much for your time and for talking to the Hui. Nā mihi nui, kā wei. Nā mihi nui.
Premier Chris Hipkins there. After the break, e Juan Ma, we revisit our story of Wahina Māori artists reviving ancient cloth form art of Ote. To end the show today, we return to one of our most successful stories from our summer series. Using the Ote plant as their canvas, Wahine Māori artists are bringing the ancient cloth art form into the present to be enjoyed by a modern-day audience. Kura Turu Whenua went in search of the women behind the revitalisation of Ote. They're the young Wahine Māori creatives at the forefront of reviving Ote, an ancient lost art form. You can bring something back that was kind of on the brink of non-existence. How Ote, or Māori tapa cloth art, is making a comeback. It's really important to think of Ote as something bigger than just ourselves. Is something that belongs to iwi Māori and to wahine Māori as well. And ensuring its survival for the next generation. It'd be so lovely to have a lot of people that want to practice there and that love it. And I hope that that is what our future holds. There's been little trace of it in Māori cultural history, but this ancient art is being brought back to life in this West Auckland backyard. This might be 2023, but there's no modern technology involved in the process of making Māori ote, or bark cloth, made from the ote, or paper mulberry plant. Today, 29-year-old artist Atarangi Anderson is making ote just as it was made more than a century ago. Peeling, scraping and beating the bark by hand that then turns into paper. When you work with Othea, you're not on everyone else's schedule, you're on Othea's schedule, learning that you are collaborating with another living being and so you have to wait for things to grow and you have to wait for the maramataka. You have to carve and make all your own tools. Bark cloth is common across many Polynesian cultures including the Samoan siapo and the Hawaiian kapa cloth, made almost exclusively by women. It was introduced to Aotearoa when Māori first arrived, but by the mid-19th century here, Aotea art was lost. The plant and practice in short supply. It's like quite transporting, like you definitely, a moment you feel you can embody almost your tipuna because you were doing the same actions that they would have been doing. It's a departure from the modern art forms Atarangi normally creates. And so her approach to working with this medium also had to change. As an artist, are you just making and being an artist or are you reviving a cultural practice? And I think that those two things are different. Oh, wow. It's like tissue paper. Yeah. It's so fine. When you bring back a practice, you're physically walking in the footsteps of your tupuna. 
Now considered Aotearoa's foremost Ote artist, Nico Hinden first learned about the ancient art form on a visit to Hawaii 10 years ago. You would be surprised by how much your body remembers and how, how right something can feel uh, and how familiar something can feel. She's brought that mātauranga back home and is now mentoring artists like Atarangi. Being an artist is almost quite self-indulgent because you're just pursuing an individual practice. But when I found Ote, it was a practice that I felt like contributed back to Te Ao Māori. It was something that I could give back and teach other people. How is it receiving mentorship from someone like Nico, who's so experienced? It's amazing. Like, where else would you want to get mentorship from? It's, yeah, Ote isn't a practice that you can kind of do by yourself, and it's much better when it's collectivised. Nico's exhibited her manu Ote both overseas and at home. Her most recent show at Season Gallery in Tāmaki. And I feel like this needs to be, because it's like lifted up. Oh, yeah. It's another teaching opportunity for her latest tawira, emerging artist Rongomai Gerbic Hoskins. I think mentorship's really important. The Tuakana framework is obviously integral to Te Ao Māori. Yeah, it's really changed my world and how I think about Māori art practice as in this process of being re-remembered and reawakened in iwi and hapu Māori. Nico has recently released a new short film, Te Uru Aute. The tuakana will teach the taina, but the taina will also teach the tuakana. Filmed over six months at Motukaraka Marae in the Hokianga, it records her wānanga Aute with rongomai. It's been really beautiful to see the evolution of our project and to just document our time together. The documentary captures the special bond the two share and hopes to educate and enlighten a wider audience. It means that someone can watch it at home and learn about Otea and then hopefully get excited about it. Am I able to try it all? I don't want yeah. to destroy your... <laughs> you can definitely try it. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is wild. Making Ote takes time and is a lot harder than it looks. Yeah, I think I'll give this back to you as it um, slowly disintegrates <laughs> in my hands. Yeah, it definitely teaches you to be patient because you're working with something you can't really control as much. Atarangi is committed to Ote and that's amazing <laughs> because it's really easy to get deterred from the practice because of all the challenges that you face when you're make, trying to make the cloth and it doesn't always go, go the way you want it to go. <laughs> These wahine consider it a privilege to ensure that this once lost art will never be forgotten. I would say that it is definitely a lifelong commitment. I really have enjoyed this journey and it's something that I'm committed to for the rest of my life. Are you looking forward to the day that you can pass on the knowledge? Definitely. Like, I think that knowledge not shared isn't knowledge. One of the foundations that Nico has installed in us is the uh, foundation to share in Wananga. So I look forward to sharing this mātauranga with other students in time. It does show what the next generation of Aote makers might look like, so that's exciting, yeah.
hala mai. Ki hatia, ko taere anō te ke te kōrero a te hui ki te pātū o te whare huinga i aiene. That's us for this week and we hope you had a safe Easter break. You'll find links to our stories on our Facebook and Twitter accounts or also at newshub.co.nz. Until next week, e ngai wii, kia mau ki te tūranga o taputapu a te ahaumi e hui e taiki e. Nā te puna whakatonga rewa, te hui i tautoko.